in week two of a series called The Way. We have been, uh, we're looking at the way of the kingdom, the narrow road. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And we know that the road of following Jesus is, it is different. It is different from any other path we find on this earth. And so last week we kicked off the series. Tyler did a phenomenal job looking at just the way of relationships. Talked a lot about forgiveness and kindness. Go check it out if you missed it. And we're gonna pick it up today talking about a, a major road in the kingdom, the way of Jesus, and a word that I'm sure is in all of your top three favorite words. This morning, we're talking about submission. All right. Submission, yeah, so just raise your hand if submission's one of your top three, yeah, that's nobody, okay? But I, I'm gonna ask you again in about 15 minutes, and I'm pretty sure we're all gonna have a lot more vision, we'll have a, a lot more hands up. Um, but, you know, even on a baby dedication morning, it's fitting for me to start off talking about this topic by showing you my kiddos. I want to get them. I did this a few weeks ago, but here's our family. That's my beautiful wife, Arlena. She's sitting up here. We've got four amazing kiddos, five and under. So we've been pretty busy the last five years and tired, but they're, they're amazing. Keep, keep them up there for a minute. And so I just want to say on the front end of this that I adore my children. I mean, my heart could explode with my kids. And I'm like a, I'm like a snuggler dad. I'm a physical touch. Like my kids are like, get off me, dad. Like give me some room to breathe. You know, I'm like, I am always just wanting to hug and cuddle and snuggle my kids. I love them. I love them. And I love being a dad. Being a dad has changed my, my world. It has wrecked my heart in so many good ways. It's revealed more of God to me. I love being a dad. Kids are such a blessing. They are these little bundles of joy and laughter and cuteness and silliness and snuggles and rebellion. <laughs> I'm just being honest, right? And, you know, everything's pretty cute until about 18 months old, all right, when your child makes the most important and potentially most detrimental discovery of their lives, which is that they have a will. And shortly after making this discovery, they, they make a second discovery, is that they want to use that will to choose to do what they want to do and not what you want to do. Parents, can I get an amen, please? Eventually, every little child discovers this will and the doctrine of original sin is reestablished and reaffirmed by every two-year-old on the planet. <laughs> Side note to parents, even as we had these guys stand up here, uh, this isn't the topic of the sermon, but I've, I've got to slide this in here. So it is actually your job as, as parents to train your children away from rebellion, even at the earliest ages as it starts to come out, 18 months, two years old. It is actually your job to train up your children away from rebellion. So if you got a rebellious child, oh, hey, welcome to the club, okay? That's every single one of us. It is our job as, as parents to steer them through discipline, through correction, away from that. But wouldn't it be nice if upon discovering our will, we all just decided to like trust our parents and treat others kindly and act politely and obey the first time, right? That'd be awesome. That's called heaven, all right? They were all going back that direction. But in the meantime, every person on the planet 
is born with a will that has been corrupted and hijacked by a rebellious sin nature. So before we get into submission today, we have to talk about this word rebellion because that is really the antithesis of what we're gonna be talking about. And I wanna ask this question, where did rebellion come from? Before we can answer, I just wanna define rebellion for us so we're all on the same page. Rebellion is the opposition or resistance to an established ruler or authority. Very simple. The opposition or resistance to an established ruler or authority. So who's the established authority of the universe? God, right? I mean, there's really just not an argument there. I mean, you can try to explain him away or you can choose to suppress his truth and go do your own thing, but there's just really no question that God is the authority of the universe. There's just a question of if we're gonna submit to him and follow him or if we're gonna rebel against him, honestly. So you notice that I didn't ask who's the established authority of the earth. I asked who's the established authority of the universe. You see, the established authority of the earth, that's actually a more complex question. And to answer it, we actually have to look back to the very first rebellion of all history. And it wasn't in the Garden of Eden, if that's what you're thinking. It actually began long before that. For the sake of time this morning, I'm not gonna unpack this whole thing, but in Ezekiel chapter 28, write it down, Ezekiel 28. I encourage you, don't take my word for it this morning. Go study it, dig into it, be a man and woman of the word yourself. But Ezekiel 28, we get a glimpse into this a rebellion against God that happened before even the creation of man. We see a little glimpse into this story before the creation of man where there was an angel named Lucifer. His name literally meant bearer of light. And he became so proud and so self-absorbed in his own beauty and talent that he actually decided that he should run the show. And he tried to actually elevate himself to the place of being God. A third of the angels actually fell in line with him in this rebellion, and they quickly found out that the authority of the universe would actually not be challenged. And we see in Ezekiel 28 that this angelic rebellion was dealt with very quickly, and God himself cast Lucifer and a third of the angels, he cast them out of the authority structure of heaven, out of the governance structure of heaven, and do you know where he cast them to? In Ezekiel 28, one of the interpretations is, and again, go look at it for yourself, is that he cast them to the earth. Do you ever wonder when God created the heavens and earth in Genesis chapter one, why the earth was formless and void and there was darkness over the surface of the deep? If God is light and in him there is no darkness of all, how come when God created the heavens and earth there was already darkness over the surface of the deep? I submit to you that potential interpretation is because the angelic rebellion was being harbored on this unformed planet, this black mass. Well, God is holy, and he's not content to just leave a corner of his universe in in rebellion. So he said, I'm gonna do something about this. Let there be light. And he began to speak light and form into this dark formless void. He began to bring beauty out of the chaos. 
He began to bring light into the darkness, and he shaped this earth. He said, I've got a solution for this rebellion. And the culmination of that creation was he took the dust of this planet, literally Genesis 1, he pulled dirt off the ground from this planet, formed it, and breathed his breath. And we had the first human beings. He created man and woman, and he set them in a position of authority over this planet. And he said to them, this is Genesis 1, the first mandate, from God to man, be fruitful and multiply. If you know, know it, say it with me. Fill the earth and... Have you asked your, ever asked yourself the question, why did the earth need to be subdued? I can tell nobody's ever asked that question, <laughs> not many of us. What if God's solution to subdue this rebellion that happened in the heavens was to prove to all of creation that the dust of the earth could actually subdue an angelic rebellion if all it has was the breath of God in their lungs. Now again, this is part of my interpretation of the, these events. But if we look at the story in this context, then it kind of makes sense out of some other things that we see in the New Testament, like in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, God, this Paul, the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures says that Satan is the God of this world. Have you ever read that verse before and been like, wait, I thought God was the God of this world. Am I, am I the only one? It's 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the Scripture calls Satan the God of this world. Ephesians 2, 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air. So who's the established authority over the earth? Back to our complex question. Who is it? Is it God? Is it the prince of the power of the air? Who is it supposed to be? Who is it supposed to be? Us, actually. It was actually supposed to be us, right? But instead of subduing the earth, with the mandate we were given, we actually fell in line with the rebellion. Are you seeing this? Why was there a serpent in the garden slithering around trying to get us to rebel against God? So I think you guys are with me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop there for the sake of the rest of the morning, but the rebellion started long before the garden is what I'm saying. And so fast forward a few, a few thousand years, and an angel appears to a woman named Mary. I think we're familiar with this story, especially this time of year. And it kind of it lands in a little bit different of a context when we see that it was a man who gave away the mandate to rule the earth. And so it was actually going to be a man that came back to get it. Because the son of God became the son of man so that the sons of men could become sons of God again and rule over the earth they were given. Are you with me? Are you following me? I haven't lost you yet. So Jesus, God left heaven, became a man to take back. That's why in Colossians 2.15, his death on the cross, it says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities. Are you seeing that? And he put them open to shame by triumphing over them in the cross. Jesus 
What rulers and authorities? Who was ruling the world before the cross? Have I lost everyone? Or are you just like really intrigued because you haven't really heard it this way before? I hope it's number two. Okay? Jesus came and through the cross disarmed the rebellion that was covering the earth with evil for all of its creation. And now, since the cross of Jesus, he's handed it back to us. And look at this, 2,000 years later, people made in the image of God, born again, walking in an authority as they've been created to be, we're actually filling the earth. We're actually trying to take back what was lost, what we lost. So we have to look at Jesus's life and how he lived it to get our cues. So flip with me to John chapter eight, okay? Flip with me to John chapter eight. We have to look at Jesus' life of submission if we're gonna be a people free from rebellion. You with me? In John 8, 28, we see Jesus give us some amazing cues as to what the, how he was living his life on the earth. And it's really key to us understanding how we're supposed to live our lives on the earth. So Jesus, John 8, 28 said, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. It's interesting, this word, on my own authority, the word authority is actually not in the Greek. It just says, Jesus saying, I do nothing on my own. I do nothing of myself. I do nothing of my own initiative. The word for do has to, it it refers to this idea of, uh, of creating, of producing, And it's actually where we get our word for poem. Okay, I want you to think about writing a story. In a story, you've got an author, but you might have somebody else who is actually writing it out, right? So when the Apostle Paul would write letters, he created the story. He would author the story, but he had a scribe that was sitting there writing it out. Are you with me? So this word of I do nothing of my own authority, he was saying God has authorship of the story. I am not creating the story here. God is I am listening to him, and I am helping him write it here on the earth. See, Jesus knew that God was the screenwriter of his life, and his job was to listen to the script and perform it. Jesus wasn't just flying around, going off script, kind of improving here and there and doing his own deal. He tells us, I do nothing of my own initiative. I'm just doing what I hear the Father say and what I hear the Father do. He says it again in John 12, 49, he says, I do, I have not spoken of, on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Why am, I, why am I, like, getting us into this point? Because if we look at Jesus and think he was God on the earth, of course he walked in authority. He was God in the flesh. Of course he healed people. We will actually miss the story of the New Testament. The story of the New Testament is not that God walked the earth as a man named Jesus and did miracles. The story of the New Testament is that God emptied himself of all of his power and divinity, became a man, the dust of the earth, that just listened to what his father was telling him to do and walked in great submission, actually. Not walked in great authority and power. In Luke 7, we see this played out 
in an actual miracle story. And so a lot of you guys are familiar with this passage. There was a centurion, a Roman uh, commander, basically. He, he sat in authority over 100 soldiers. He had a servant of his that was sick. You guys know the backstory. I'm going to kind of summarize it, and then we'll look at a couple verses. So the centurion goes to the elders of the, the Jewish people. Remember, Jesus was a faithful Jewish boy. So the centurion goes to the elders and he said, hey, I've heard about Jesus, this miracle worker. I've got a sick servant. Will you ask this miracle guy, Jesus, if he'll come to my house and heal my servant? And so Jesus, being a good Jew, submitted to his elders, goes, says, yeah, sure. And so he starts to go. Before he can get to the guy's house, the centurion runs out and he stops him. He said, Lord, oh, oh, Jesus, Jesus, I didn't mean to trouble you. You don't need to come into my house. And pick it up here in verse 7. He says, I did not presume to come to you. We can get verse 7 up here. Here we go. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does that. Okay, notice what, leave this up here. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, I too am a man of authority. He said, I too am a man set under authority. You see, the centurion was a commander in the Roman army, over 100 soldiers. He got his authority from a general. He was set under the authority of a general. So the reason why a centurion could say, hey, go, and he goes, and do this, and he does that, is because he was actually just listening to the orders of a general. You see what I'm saying? So he recognized that Jesus was doing miracles not because he had all this authority, but because he was actually submitted to his authority, which was his father. It's interesting. What is our... What is our little root word that we use in English for, for under? Like if it's under zero degrees outside, we say that it's, yeah, let's try again. We, if, if it's under zero degrees, we say it's sub-zero temperatures, right? Okay, sub-zero temperatures. Sorry, I, you know, I thought y'all were with me, but welcome back. Um, so, I, so, so the word sub, are you with me? The word sub means under. Sub-zero temperature. We're under Jesus. So what does submission mean? I am under a mission. Whose mission? Jesus walked in miracles and power, not as a God of power walking on the earth, but as a man under the mission of his father as a man fulfilling the mandate of Genesis 1 to fill the earth and subdue it. You see, if we actually would have stayed under God in the garden, we would have stayed in a place of security and blessing, and we would have ruled over the earth, and we would have subdued the earth as image bearers. We, would have we actually would have filled the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God instead of just joining the rebellion and perpetuating the darkness. If we just would have stayed under stayed under. You see, if Jesus did miracles as a God of power, well then I'm, I'm impressed, I'm maybe even amazed 
but I don't have an example to follow. But if he did miracles as a man submitted to the mission of his father, then I actually can emulate that. I actually can strive to be like that, to be a man that doesn't speak on my own authority, but listens to what God's saying and says that. To be a man that doesn't just do my own initiative, do my own thing, but says, God, what are you saying and doing, and how can I get in line with that? Are you seeing this? Guys, the key to us walking in and being like Jesus is not us like getting more holy or anointed or powerful. If you believe in Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you're already holy and anointed. That's the gospel. And so then it just means we need to learn how to walk in power. And Jesus shows us the way that we walk in power is we walk in submission. Okay, so how are we doing? Raise your, raise your hand if you're just like a little bit mind blown this morning. Are we okay? Hallelujah. Okay. So me too, okay, because... I'm trying to figure this, this out, and, and sorry, I spilled some water up here. Um, I want to share a, a story of how this played out in real time this past week with my wife, Arlena, who's just just faithful woman of God who's living her life just trying to stay in relationship with God, just trying to, to do what she's hearing God say and do. So... We were, uh, a bunch of us were gathered together on Monday during lunch, and we were praying, and just, um, we had taken a day as a bunch of families to, to just uh, pray and call out to God, to, just to do some specific miracles in our midst. It's kind of been a tough week with some family situations and some little kids and babies. So we were praying, 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 just powerful time of asking God for breakthrough and healings and miracles and all that. And we walk out, and Arlena, if you know her well, she's pretty soft-spoken a lot of times, but when she opens her mouth, man, it is the power of God. And she goes, hey, so we've just had this awesome time together, guys. Wherever you go right now, take this with you. If you're going back to work and you see someone sick, pray for them. If you're going here and something's happening, if you see someone needs a miracle, go for it. So she kind of gives us this charge on the way out the door, and then I see her later that night. She, she goes, yeah, babe, so after our prayer meeting, I was driving home, and I had to go to TJ Maxx because... I had to return some Christmas stuff, and so I figured, well, I'm going to TJ Maxx. Maybe somebody at TJ Maxx needs a miracle. Lord, is there somebody at TJ Maxx that I can bless today? Is there something you want to do? Is there someone there that needs a miracle? This has never happened to her like this before, but she said she immediately felt like she saw a picture in her mind of this woman. Short hair, glasses, striped shirt. It's like, okay, I guess I know who I'm looking for. Goes to TJ Maxx, she's shopping around, doing her thing, sees some ladies with short hair, but no glasses, sees a couple ladies with striped shirt and glasses, not short hair, she's kind of walking around. Finally, she steps into line at the checkout counter and stands right in line next to a woman with short hair, glasses, striped shirt. Guess I found who I was looking for, Lord. Hey, I'm Arlena. Uh, hi, you know, kind of a... Why are you talking to me? You know, well, hey, I just, you know, I was driving over here and I believe in Jesus, love Jesus. I was just asking God if there was anyone that I could pray for today. And I'm just wondering, is there anything I can pray for you for? Is there any miracle that you need? The lady goes, yeah, actually, um, I'm supposed to be getting surgery on my back in like two days. So she was so encouraged that like, 
God led her to somebody that actually needed a miracle, you know? And so she goes, well, I would love to just pray for you right here. And so I wasn't there. She was, but she just described, she's laying hands on this lady. If this is your first Sunday at Antioch, welcome. <laughs> Sorry. This is kind of normal um, for us. But so she's praying. She's praying for this lady in line at TJ Maxx. And she said, it was just powerful. Like it was just God was there in and this lady walked away, and she was so encouraged, and she, she just kind of looked at me. and was like, what just happened? You know, like just kind of shell-shocked, and she said, thank you so much, and went and, you know, checked her, you know, paid for her stuff at TJ Maxx. So the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus is actually a life of submission to God, and it gives us something to actually model in our own lives as normal people Say, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? I don't want to just walk around and live for my own initiative here. You're the author of the story. Help me hear what you're creating, and I just want to be the, the guy that's helping write it on here at the earth. Are you with me? So I want us to look at a couple just practical, thanks, buddy, practical um, examples of how this plays out in our lives. Because obviously, step one and what we've been talking about is we live under in submission to God's mission. So point number one is, if you're still in line with the angelic rebellion and you're not submitted to, that's, that's why I told that story. Because it's like the alternative to submission being your favorite word is rebellion. Okay, so let's try again. How many of you feel like maybe after today, submission might become one of your favorite words? Yeah. So maybe I'll ask it another way. How many of you want to just stay in rebellion to God? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but here, here's the deal. Even if you did, you wouldn't raise your hand because you're in rebellion. You wouldn't do what I said, <laughs> right? So, so we need to understand that the alternative to living under God's authority and mission is we live against him. And so that is part one. And for, a, for some of you, that might be like, oh, wow, the Lord's like hitting you today going, man, I just need to submit my life to God. In addition to submission to God, we live our lives in a complex web of relationships with other people where we're also in positions of authority over others and where other people are in positions of authority over us. Think about it. Everywhere you go. Everything you do, every room you step into, you are either in authority over some people or you are under the authority of some people. Let's take employer-employee, okay? If you're the CEO, you're the boss, you own the company, you are the authority of your business, which means you have authorship. You get to create the story of your business. God has put you in that position to hear him and create the story of your business. If you're an employee at that business, your job is to actually hear the story that your boss is wanting to create with God and help him pin it. Your job is not to create the storyline of the company. Your job is to serve the ideas and create the story of your authority as an employer. I don't have time. I Guys, confession, six years ago, I was let go. I'm a pretty nice guy, all right? I'm a pretty hard worker. I'm a pretty smart guy. 
I was let go from a job and a business that I was helping grow like crazy because in the midst of growing it like crazy, I was actually not submitted to the boss man. And along the way, I started doing my own initiative, and I thought I just had great ideas. I thought I just had great ideas that were better than his idea. Well, guess what? As an employee, my job was not to create the storyline of the company. My job was to figure out what he wanted the company to become and to help implement it. And it was amicable, and we, we, you know, it was fine. He said, let go. He didn't say fire, okay? So I got let go. <laughs> but that's because six years ago, I didn't get that my job as an employee was not to run the company. It was to figure out how I could serve, sub his mission, how I could get under his leadership of the company. Let's take, you know, I'm going to call this leaders and, and followers. So this could be within, like, the classroom, teachers and students. This could be coach and players. But there's situations we walk into where we have a leader and we have a follower. So leaders, you will, whether it's the classroom or the church or wherever, you will actually give an account for the people you lead. And so I hope that you're listening to what God is saying and you're helping create a story with the people that you lead that is in line with God. Followers, you actually, just like in the garden, if you will stay under the storyline of whoever's leading you, if you'll stay submitted, there is guaranteed a place of blessing. Guaranteed a place of blessing when we submit to our authorities. Silly story, an example of this, but my wife and I recently were trying to figure out this whole working out and having five, four kids. We don't have five kids yet, okay? No announcement. So we're trying to figure out this whole working out thing. And so we were like, well, we just need something that we can do in our living room. And so some of you guys may have heard of P90X. It was famous about 10 years ago. So we're like, let's, let's try it again. You know, we did it years ago. So, so we're on like day five of P90X right now. And I can't explain it, but it's like I put that DVD in the thing, and Tony comes up on the screen and starts telling me what to do, and I just start doing it. I'm like, my mind, you know, it's on, we're doing all this stuff. And it's like, I can't explain it, but it's like he gets on screen and I just like want to submit to him. I just like, literally, he's the, he's the coach, he's the trainer, he's the friend. And here, how many of you guys know that if I will actually submit to Tony on the screen for the next 90 days, I'm going to be blessed? And you're going to know it. you be like, P90, Fletch, you know? So, so. The point, the point of all of this is that we have turned submission into this, like, bad word. And authority is kind of this, like, bad word. And it's, and it's really just because we're rebellious. <laughs> submission is actually the greatest place of safety that you could live your life in any realm, within your, with, within, uh, your, your job, your workplace, within your life group. If you'll, if you'll follow the people that God has, has put over you, there is a place of blessing in that place of submission. And there are, there are realms of your life where you're in authority and you're getting to co-create with God. <clears throat> so the last example I want to use, uh, we'll go ahead and have the band come up and um, kind of get ready to respond. We're going a, a couple minutes late here this morning, but... The Lord has something powerful for us today, I believe, in this revelation of, of submission, of joyful submission. 
And you know, there's some frequently asked questions. Well, hey, what if my authority is not perfect? You know, what if my authority is ungodly? And I'll just say, how many people in the Bible were actually asked to serve and submit to ungodly kings? David and Saul, Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, the list goes on. You see, we never compromise God's character if our authority is, is leading us to a compromise, we never, we never go there. But there's actually much for us to learn serving unjust, unfair, and ungodly leaders, bosses, whatever. Yeah. God uses it in our lives. It's actually not about the character of your authority. It's about your heart. They're responsible to God. You're responsible to you. It's not about your leader's character. It's about your heart. Secondly, what if I don't like somebody telling me what to do? Well, then you have a problem with an authority, and you probably need to repent today because that's called rebellion. That is called rebellion. And most of our problems with authority probably stem from an area in our past where somebody that was in authority over us misused their authority and hurt us. And so forgiveness then becomes the key to a life of joyful submission. Forgiveness becomes the key. I want you to stand as I share one last example this morning. We talked about employers, employees. We talked about followers and leaders. And a lot of you college students, this is your last Sunday here probably for a month or so. You guys are heading home for the holidays. The last example is obviously one that all of us live in, and that's with parent-child. Parent-child. As parents, parents in the room, I want to ask you a question. Are you using your God-given authority? I mean, these guys that stood up here, it's beautiful. Are you using your God-given authority over your kids to listen to him and co-create the story of your kid's life? Are you listening to your authority to create or to control? That's a, that, one's, that one's aimed at me. Chris, are you listening to me and help creating your kid's life? Or are you just wanting to control them and have your own initiative come out? I'm laying in bed next to my son a few nights ago. I'm just like wanting to encourage him at bedtime. And Caleb, my five-year-old, I just said, God, how do you want to encourage him? I'm just going gonna, gonna to listen. I'm going to try to just say what you would say. And I felt like God said, hey, tell him you're proud of him and he's doing a great job in school. So I just said, hey, buddy, this is out of the blue. I was like, buddy, I'm so proud of you. You're doing such a great job in school. He rolls right back over and he said, Dad, I've been missing you so much lately at school. Just at lunchtime today, I was missing you. On the playground, I was missing you. Like, I, I don't know how this happened, but this one little thing that I listened to God and spoke to my son, it like unlocked this thing in, in his heart. And now we're having this conversation about how he's missed me. It's been busy lately. I said, buddy, I'll tell you what, we're going to go on a date Wednesday morning. We'll leave early for school, just you and me. We'll get some time together. And I got to just co-create this story. It's all he could think about for the next two days. So parents, are you listening? Are you controlling? Kids, are you honoring your parents? Those that God himself, you didn't get to choose them. Now, all of us are kids. You might be 50 years old. You're a kid still to somebody. And age actually doesn't matter in this thing. I know we always try to ask, well, at what point can I start not honoring my parents? Oh, no. No, we're asking the wrong question. I was so blown away by a testimony from one of my dear friends this week. They're here this morning. The man of God, he's in his late 30s. Paul, how old are you? 
38 years old. So Paul texted me this week out of the blue, out of the blue, the week I'm preaching about honoring parents' submission. He says, Chris, um, I wanted to share something with you. A few months ago, God convicted my heart to to honor my parents and to celebrate the good things. My childhood wasn't perfect. And actually, there are a lot of ways that my parents hurt me throughout my childhood. And it's been a long journey for Paul. He said, but this summer, I felt like God said, I want you to get in with your family. I want you to honor them and bless them. So he spent three months helping his mom clear out her attic. I mean, if you just imagine just the stuff, the mess. And in the process, he discovered and helped his mom catalog all the photos from their childhood and digitize them. And the Lord put it on his heart. He said, hey, Paul, I want you to make a photo book this Christmas for your parents. And I want you to honor your parents. And I want you to celebrate what was good about your childhood. And I want you to forgive them for the places that were painful and hard. And so Paul spent the last couple weeks and he told me, Chris, I only chose pictures from my childhood that captured the joy and the togetherness of our family. And I chose to let everything go that felt hurt and painful. And he said, Chris, this journey has totally redeemed my childhood. I see now that I actually was loved as a child. I see now, he said, this has restored my whole heart to my family. He hasn't even given it to them yet. It's coming in Christmas. He's like, I hope they like it as much as I do. It's changed the story because he chose to forgive and bless and honor. So it's simple this morning. Prayer leaders, go ahead and and come up. It's simple this morning. If there's a place of rebellion in your heart, get to repent. If there's a place of forgiveness, you need to forgive. And I'm just going to say, for the the sake of time, um, we're going to go ahead and close the service now. And so you are free to go. But I'm saying if the Lord is doing something in your heart, please don't leave without responding to the Lord. So I'm going to pray and release it. It's 1030. Maybe one spouse can go get your kids if the other spouse needs to stay back and, and do business, okay? But we want this, we want this to have some space here to respond to how God's moving our hearts. Amen? Are we okay, church? All right, Lord Jesus, would you come and do what only you can do? Would you come and do what only you can do? Holy Spirit, show us the places in our hearts where we need to come under your authority again. Show us the place in our hearts where we need to submit. Go ahead and just start coming forward. If you need to respond today, go ahead and just start coming forward. If there's somebody you need to forgive, guys, remember the goal is that we are just like Jesus, that we live not of our own authority, but we live underneath the mission of God. So if you need to respond today, just go ahead and start coming forward. And and if you need to leave, then you are free to go. So Jesus, do what only you can do. We invite you.